Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Inside the Winner's Circle here on the Win Life Podcast with Awilda Rivera. I am beyond excited today. I'm hype. I'm soobed. Every word you can think of because I have none other than Yamanika on with me. This woman is not only a comedian, but she has been using her platform to raise awareness about issues affecting the people of color community. She's not afraid to stand up for what she believes in. And let me tell you, for raw, hilarious comedy, she is one of a kind. There's not a lot of women out there doing what she's doing. She's had a Comedy Central special. She's featured on The Degenerates on Netflix. She's been on Lights Out with David Spade. And her, I mean, her sheet goes on and on. Star of Funny Girls. Yamanika, thank you for being here today. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm and I um, I'm looking at your profile picture and you're Doing a yoga pose that I think I'm at least seven years away from. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm so excited to have you on today. You know, a lot of people, you know, if they're one of your 50,000 social media followers, know you for your comedy. They know that Mm -hmm. you're outspoken. But, you know, I wanted to bring you on here today to to talk a little bit more about your story, your journey, um, speak about the way that you're using your platform, because again, not a lot of people are doing it. And even in the last couple months, you've even stood up to other people in your industry, you know, um, in a way that hasn't really been seen before. So I'm just so excited to talk to you about all these things. Um, Let me just slow myself down. (laughs) And let's just start with Sort of, you know, comedy, where you are now, what it's like being in the industry as the industry is changing as a woman of color. Yeah, I mean, the the industry is changing for a number of reasons. It's changing because of COVID right now. And there's a lot of adjustments that are happening. And, uh, you know, just because of that, it means I'm super duper busy. You know, we're constantly trying to figure out, like, how what we can, um, you know, what shows are viable, what content is, is viable and relevant in this time. And you have to consider also people's emotions, you know, prior to, to COVID, um, there was already sort of, uh, angst with comedy because, you know, so many displaced, um, subcultures have felt, um, attacked through comedy or just attacked in general. So they, don't really have space for comedy to be attacking them or what they appear to feel attacked by. Um, So, you know, we had things like, um, you know, a lot of like the Me Too and women's rights and, you know, don't say this about women and don't joke about this with women and um, don't say this about, you know, people of color and don't. So it was, you know, people were becoming very sensitive um, and rightly so about, how they were just inter- even entertaining comedy in general. So we were already dealing with that, what, what can be said, what can't be said, who's allowed to say what and do what. And then now we have to deal with that sort of have sh- has shifted to the background and the more immediate thing is like, what is what's fu- what can possibly be funny or what is funny during the time when people find very little hope or the things that we normally make fun of um as comedians uh is like 
you know, those things have to get adjusted too, because people's perspective on what's, what's, uh, you know, the tangible reality has, has shifted. So, you know, we might be able to, you know, make fun of a celebrity all day long prior to this, but now, you know, you'd have to be careful when certain celebrities are donating money to funds that are helping people with COVID. So it's just always something that I think people don't think about when it comes to entertainment, specifically when it comes to comedy, how much thought goes into um, giving comedy and giving the content of comedy. Uh, and it's not just like somebody wakes up and just was like, I'm just going to be goofy today, you know? I'm so glad you said that. And that's the perfect segue for what I want to ask you next. So, I mean, we, you already came on just dropping a lot of gems for anyone out in entertainment right now that's listening or is mm-hmm. creative. It's important that they hear what you said, because not only did you speak on the change in sort of what's viable and relevant, but you also spoke to the need for uh, sort of being in this constant creativity mode so that you can really figure out and sift through what content is really going to be the best for you, for your audience, mm-hmm. for your brand. And so I want to take a step back for a second, because before you were Yamanika, 50K, the brands that we know and love, who makes it look so easy. You make it look like you just wake up and are hilarious, you know? Um, yeah. Let's talk about why comedy, you know, why, how did you end up there? Why did you stay with it? Because anyone that's followed your career or, you know, anyone that goes and Googles you after this, who may not know you, will see you've been in it for a long time. There have been ups and downs. You've been very open about those ups and downs, especially Mm -hmm. as a woman of color. Um, And so I'm curious, like, with all the, you know, quote unquote, strikes against you in this kind of an industry, why this industry and why stick with it? Uh, you know, I, I've been doing comedy for over 20 years. So uh, I was fortunate enough to start comedy when I was a teenager. I started doing stand up. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've said this enough now that I think people know it, but you know, I studied theater when I was a kid. I'm classically trained in the theater. Um, and, you know, my mother had moved me to Los Angeles with her. Um, and I went to a performing arts high school there. And um, my mother decided to do start doing stand-up. And she was, just wanted me to start doing stand-up with her. I think she had, I don't know, she had these ideas that we would like be a mother-daughter troupe. I have no idea what my mother thought. <laughs> and but she really was gung-ho about me doing stand-up. And I was already studying, classically studying and being trained uh, in, in both, actually both techniques of theater and was not interested in doing uh, stand-up because I felt it was uh, like tawdry and lowbrow. And uh, I didn't have any respect for it. I didn't think it took uh, any, like, it didn't take much mental gymnastics to be a comedian from, from my perspective. And then, um, you know, I got into it. Uh, they just happened to offer it my senior year in high school. And my mother asked me to, you know, audition for the class. And, and I got in and I stuck with it. And I just got bit by the bug in the class. But, um, you know, 
why it was so easy for me to transition into stand up from theater is because in theater there's very very little control you're an actor or you're a playwright there you know now we're seeing more playwrights who also act in their thing but there wasn't this thing of like you know for a, a Tyler Perry right uh for mm -hmm. a lack of better example where you had somebody who was uh, doing theater and writing their own words and also executing the words. So I found myself to be pigeonholed a lot because I was, you know, a little black girl and I, you know, mm -hmm. had busts and all, you know, and they not really trying to put no aggressive body out there like that as a black girl. There were no roles written for me in plays. Um, so I found, I, I never forget we did, uh, we did uh, Shakespeare at the, at the ball. It was called Shakespeare at the ball. And it was mm -hmm. just a, a nation of all these like Shakespearean pieces that they put together as one play. And every, the thing about that particular play was everyone had, there was a, a limited cast, but the cast took on multiple um, characters throughout the pieces of Shakespeare. Mm. And every character that I took on was some lady in waiting some surf some you know like mm. I'm a there you know and it's like it's very limiting in theater if you are black to find anything that gives you I mean like you might have like a some type of musical theater piece like Jelly's Last Jam or like every now and then yeah. you'll get a Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or something right you know where everybody like eating cornbread and singing Mr. Bojangles like <laughs> you get some shit like that but for the most part, you're not going to get it. And around that time when I was discovering myself, not only growing up as a teenager and that whole phase of identity, but realizing that I would go out for roles. And I thought I definitely thought I was one of the top in my class and had been listed as that amongst my own professors that I was the top of my class when it came to acting, aptitude for acting, execution of, of uh, you know, theater theory and all of that. And I still would be losing out to roles to like mediocre white girls because they white and the roles for a white girl, you know? Mm. So, and, and people don't really, I remember auditioning for Our Town and wanting one of the lead roles and they kept bringing me in with a different black boy it was like they couldn't see, like the only way I was going to get this role, and they kept bringing me in. I was perfect for the role, but the only way they would bring me back in is if they was somehow could cast a black boy opposite me. And it, you know, when you start to like deal with that kind of frustration and your talent is being limited because of things that are out of your control. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, my, my, I just want people to know that my voice is catching, not because I'm crying, but because I had what I shouldn't have had earlier today, I had some grits and the grits <laughs> are coming back into my throat because I'm not supposed to be having grits because I'm on an active mm. workout right now. Uh, so the grits are reminding me that they were there. But, um, you know, you, you go, well, I can go into comedy and I can write my own material. I can say whatever I want to say. All I, The only parameter to which I can get my, my message across and my opinion across is that it has to be funny. And that, and let's just, first of all, thank you for the candor, for the realness, because there's a lot of people out there right now hearing this and, and saying to themselves, damn, 
I've had that experience or yeah, I didn't know if I didn't feel comfortable articulating it like that or damn, that shit is still happening. And that's why mm-hmm. I'm a writer or that's why I'm doing this or that or whatever. And, you know, let's talk about the control that you have in comedy because you could have gone a lot of different ways. You could have been, you know, played it blue. You could have been a comic that only talks about, you know, there's a lot of comics that kind of like take their corner or they take Mm -hmm. their topic and like they do comedy about that. But you chose to do comedy, not just about your experience as a woman or being black or being a black woman or being a black woman comic or being a black woman comic in relationships, but you also chose to speak on other comics, which is not rare, not, not widely done. Uh-huh. You also chose to speak on social issues. You also chose to speak on current events. And you also uh-huh. chose to, to speak on it in a way that is not just like, this is my opinion, but calling others to action what made you choose to use your platform in that way? Because that's not an easy way to go. That's not a way that like guarantees more people like you or like follow no, sure. you. That's not the easy way, you know, what, what made you choose that and stand by that to this day? It, well, first of all, stand up is, it's not a business where, you know, the business of comedy is not like, Oh, how do you, where do you have time to remember that there are all these oppressions in the world when you deal in a business where it's a, it's funny. It's like, I see the most oppressions in, in comedy. Right. Um, because it is one of those, one of those skills, like we, you know, we, we critique singers, we critique actors and directors and things like that. But the way that people critique comedians is, and, you know, you go, is it subjective or is it objective? And they're critiquing in ways where it becomes very quickly marginalized right away. You have um, white males who have a large voice on any social media platform just because they feel the least restricted uh, in their lives. They're, they're the least group to be restricted on any regard. They're they have the freedom of being men and they have the, the extra freedom of being white men. So it's like uh, they all run around like with this superhero power that they constantly execute. And because of that, you'll see them all over social media making opinions on comedians pages or anytime Comedy Central posts something and it's not a white male comic. You'll see a bunch of white men coming in, especially if it's a woman. Oh, women aren't funny. Just like really generic things. Oh, here we talk about race again and all this other, you know, so there's, I constantly see the problems and the oppressions. It's not like I'm, I have a chance to close my eyes to it. And because I see it, I know other comedians see it. And the fact that they can still, some of them can still try to stay in a bubble or put themselves in a bubble is uh is is very problematic now i will say this to speak about race issues and things like that is um you know and i always know that when i'm going to say it when i say stuff like this i'm going to 
there's I'm going to eventually run into the people and then I'm going to have a problem. And I've had this in the past where I've said stuff and I've run into those people and I know this beforehand or afterhand. So I, and I never make it a personal thing about the person. I always just take people's words and I present to you what they've said and why they're saying it or why it's problematic. So Mm -hmm. when you have, when you have a, when you have celebrity comedians who are of color and we're in the midst of, uh, police brutality and we are seeing disproportionate amounts of content on social media where black people largely black men but also let's not forget say hashtag say her name black women as well mm-hmm. being harassed attacked murdered for our enjoyment because now it's becoming tragedy porn and at the end of the day, there's no resolution. We just watched this man get gunned down by two hillbillies in Georgia. What happened to them? Right? What happens um, uh, to the, the cops that killed Breonna Taylor a, a couple weeks ago? And mm-hmm. nobody said anything. What happened to the cop that killed Tamir Rice? What happened to the cops that killed Eric Garner? What happened to the cops that murdered Sandra Bland and then act like she committed suicide? Mm-hmm. Like what? And Philando Castile and the rest. The list goes on and mm-hmm. on and on. But we go and we watch people do comedy who look just like us and they can't even delegate or, or regulate a, a portion of their content, which is an hour you will minimum you will watch a headlining comic of color. Any comic that's doing a special or on the road, once you get on the road, your contract is for a minimum of 45 minutes to an hour. Most of these headlining, national headlining comedians of color are doing hours. You don't have five to 10 minutes of material addressing this shit in some type of comedic way, but you're still getting the messaging out. And I think it's very dangerous that we continue to support these type of foolish ass comedians who don't have, like we're quick on, they've divided the the comedy circuit up, right? So this is how comedy goes. If you're black, you're already regulated and and relegated over to the uh, uh, urban side, right? You automatically urban because you just happen to come out of your mama's vagina with black skin. So you got to be urban, okay? So now you have this whole urban side that's full of black people. Then you have these blacks in comedy who don't want to be labeled as urban because they think it diminishes their brands and they also don't want to fuck with an urban crowd because urban crowds, a lot of times it's an all black crowd. People don't want to do these fucking crowds because God knows what's happening and it's, it's just a certain... Um, it's just a certain fever pitch that's happening there, a certain loose cannon shit that's going on. Black people are very, very judgmental with one another. We don't take the patience. We don't take the time. So a lot of black comments like, I don't want to fucking deal with this damn nigga show. And that's just what they're going to say. That's facts, right? 
So you got a whole group of black people now who trying to get themselves out of doing nigga shows and they trying to make themselves more tangible to be in front of white audiences. So white people by and large don't want to don't not that every white person doesn't, but most of them by and large, they don't want you to be talking about no shit that's going to make them feel bad about who they are, where right, they can because they're getting the entertained. So they don't want to be uncomfortable. Right. And even when they're not getting entertained, they don't want to be uncomfortable. More importantly, though, it when they're getting entertained and they are being entertained by a nigga, they don't want that nigga to remind them that that nigga got to deal with nigga shit when they get off stage. So you get a lot of these comics who are like dumbing their shit down. Black people do this, white people do that kind of shit. Then you leave to the urban side of comedy now because now these black comics who have moved over into the mainstream, which is for some reason we've let it be white, they feel better than the urban comics, right? And But there's still the, all the heart and the soul of being a person of color if you're not running away from that because it's actually something beautiful, right? A lot of the heart and soul of that is being stripped down because the Black audiences now are not getting because some of these comics, like I'm a mainstream comic, right? But I just happen to be, I, you gonna see me, I'm gonna do a quote unquote nigga show and I'm gonna go over here and do this hillbilly show. I'm gonna do both, right? And I'm not switching up along the way because this is, you're getting the same show you get over here is the same show you get up there. But some comics can't do that. Some comics have to like, when they see a black crowd, they gotta, oh, what's up, y'all? Lady, yeah, let, me, lady. let me pause you there because that's one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on because you're super authentic. And that's a word that gets thrown around, like left around, like, I'm so authentic. But when I say that about you, I mean consistent. I mean, like, it's not just that we can tell that you're material and and when you get on IG and you're speaking seriously about a subject that you really mean it, like, it's not just that, but it's that you're always that way. Like, when you're having a bad day, you talk about it. When you're having a great day, you talk about it. You, it's not so much that you let everybody into your whole life because it's not everybody's business, but it's that mm-hmm. you're authentic in that you share your truth consistently in such a way that allows us to know, that allows anyone that interacts with your message or brand, your comedy, that like you're not um, valuing anyone over anyone else. Like what you see is what you get no matter who you are. Here's what happened, right? I'm not under the delusion that some people up there on ass about who they are as a person. And when you're up your own ass about who you are as a person, especially if in comedy, it is going to be a problem. So we get like a lot of these little boutique niggas that's doing comedy and they um, they are the niggas that want to wear, they want to get on so they can wear, they can floss and flash and the whole shit and stunt and front. And <sighs> It's, it's like I'm trying to explain it in a way that everybody can really get it because sometimes I, I've talked about this and I've known this for so long it's really shortcut to me it's a shortcut conversation but it really can be a shortcut like in comedy there's a there's a hierarchy and so you got the veterans in comedy who've been doing comedy for 20 something plus years they rocking shows they're pros and everyone should come into comedy or the way that I did, you come into comedy with a level of respect and you go, 
like when I started, a lot of people who are my peers, we had a certain level of respect for comedians that were above us. And we knew that it took time to get to that. And the only way we were going to get to that was time, practice, consistency, and pushing the envelope. And that means you got to go on stage, you probably going to fail. And then you got to go on and figure out why you failed, what failed, and then fix it. And then go back on stage so that eventually you're moving up the ladder towards being, a, you know, an OG in comedy. But you're also getting the respect of the comics as well because you're really becoming a student and, a, and now a mm. teacher of the craft. So yes, and, our- and, and wait, right there, Yamanika, I want them to, to to run that part back that you just said and re-listen to it before they go on to the next part. Because whether you're a comedian, an entrepreneur, working for somebody else, or a freaking dog groomer, what Yamanika mm-hmm. just said is so important in your personal success journey. Come into the path with respect, knowing that you're going to have to put in the work to figure out what's working and what isn't working. You're going to have to refine and perfect your craft if you want to mm-hmm. be the best. And you got to recognize who's already in the industry, whether you're making widgets or, you know, apps that is doing it better yeah. than you and you you learn from them and you respect them. You don't come in thinking, you know, you're you're the whiz kid on the block because there is institutional knowledge. There is experiential knowledge that you don't have. And and it's important. Yes. And I'm sorry. I'm saying, and you're right. And it's important because that's the only way you can grow with your audience. Right. Um, because we see a lot of this flash in the pan. They get just enough to get going for right now. And then they can't grow because their audience is not going to stay 20 years old and dumb. And or their audience ain't going to stay 32 and ignorant. Or they, you know, their audience is, is growing and things are happening. And so I see a lot of, um, I see a lot, because already in comedy, you got people who, comedy is made up of like, a lot of uh, uh, dregs of society, right? People who've either been bullied, feel under, like it's a lot of underdogs in comedy. So they've learned to develop a quick wit to protect themselves emotionally against whatever bullying or bullshit they done had to deal with as children or adults or awkward people, you know, in general. And then they take that and coming into that, you want to, you already, you, you got to try to have some humility with a group of people who are probably coming in like with this over grandiose sense of self because they've taught them, they've told themselves, oh, I can kill anybody with humor. I, I'm a fast talker. I'm a blah, 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 blah. And then there's no respect, right? So then I, what I see is I see these kids come in and because it is easy now with social media for anybody to really garner a fan base if you're saying some of the dumbest, quickest shit people can process. You know, I don't, I'm not at that place where I can, I'm processing some dumb shit. So the 50,000 people that I have that following me, like I, it probably could have been doubled that if I, for the amount of people I lose every time I say something that's conscious. So um, we come in, we had the respect and then you built on the craft and then you were able to execute because now it's not like when people go, Oh my God, you're so great. And how do you, and I go, Oh, because I started at, um, the bottom. <laughs> yeah. You've put in the work and that's, right. you know, that's really, you know, to, to boil it all down for people that are like, well, okay. 
you know what it's because Yamanika is an example of someone who started with a love for a craft with a love for acting with a love for performing and entertaining and then was able to take control of how she wanted to share that with the world and as she did that was able to pay her dues do the work with a sense of respect and humility and I mean don't get it twisted she still has ups and downs like she's killing it she has writing credits and and this and that but she's still you know and correct me if I'm wrong there's still times where you feel disappointed or a deal falls through or shit doesn't go the way you wanted to that's why I tell people about the business the business Every day in entertainment is specifically comedians can, because we're we're like my like the only thing lower than a comedian in the entertainment food chain is a mime, and um, <laughs> and that's that's like fact that's fact because they're constantly trying to find actors who are funny so that they don't have to fuck with comedians because mostly co- comedians are grotesque looking people in the first damn place. Every now and then you'll look up on a damn. Uh, you you can find somebody as cute and fine as a Tiffany Haddish. You'll find somebody uh, as fine as an Eddie Murphy. But for the most part, it's uh, a bunch of us running around here hoping we can put some shit together just enough so niggas go look at the screen and go, don't go yuck. Um, but you know, but I, I I really want that. I do want to hit that message with you because a lot of people don't don't know me, and so when they see me, I'm performing comedy at such a proficient level that they think I'm a genius. I'll give you an example. Um, I did a show before Two Dope Queens became Two Dope Queens. I did their show out in Brooklyn, um, and um, I wound up headlining the show, and I met some executives i, I don't want to put these people's name out here because i don't you know people, uh, people get weird about that but just to protect their privacy i met two uh i met the president and the vice president of a particular network and they had never seen me before and they approached me after my set and they were like awestruck like oh my god you're so incredible like wow you're so amazing like we got to work with you we got to blah 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 you know, like the huge, you just started comedy. I was like, no, I've been doing comedy for 15 years, <laughs> you know, and it's, I'm not, I'm never going to be the person to be like, because I know comics who do that, who act like they just started doing comedy yesterday so everybody can think they're a genius. No, I've been doing comedy for a long fucking time. So when you saw me, and yeah, I, if I'm doing comedy this long and I'm not good, then th- there's a problem with me. I, I ain't, this ain't the career for me. <laughs> like, people need to understand there's nothing wrong with letting people know how long you've been doing something and that you put years into something and that you should be proficient 10 years into something, you should be fucking proficient. 20 years into Amen. something, you should be a fucking master. 30 years, Amen. you should be yeah y'all should Tell hear what she says because she is a lot of people want to look like they're an overnight success. They want to be like, oh, yeah. I just I just invented this thing. Yeah, I had a dream and I invented it, and that's it, and I I win, you know. But no, you know, what Yamaninka is really touching on is that there's no shame in the journey. 
okay, maybe, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a business person or you're a consultant or you're a career professional, maybe you've had a rough couple of years. Maybe you haven't grown in the way you want to. Maybe you haven't excelled in the way you want to. But that's no need to be ashamed of those years because if you actually take the time to learn the lesson, to refine, to perfect what you're doing and you do get a takeaway and you do increase your proficiency and you are better, then that's why you're doing it. That's why it takes time. You know, it's the overnight success that took 20 years. And so Yamanika, I know, I mean, I could have you on for another 30 minutes, but I know you're a busy woman. And so, um, just before we go, you've really dropped a lot of knowledge on people specifically about the entertainment industry, but also just about, how to stick with your passion in general, what it requires, how to have some some earnest uh, appreciation for the endeavor that you're undertaking, how to approach that with humility, how to pay respect to people that come before you, you know, and if y'all somehow missed that, go back and re-listen because she did touch on all of that. Um and so before we leave, you know, I want I always ask every guest if they had one last bit of information, like if there's someone that's listening that maybe isn't in entertainment at all, but they're like, yo, I love what sis says. She got me so fired up. Like, yes, fuck that. I'm, there are mad mediocre people out there just doing whatever. And I do have a gift to share with the world. Like, damn, I want to go out there and kill like her. What is one piece of advice you would give them to kind of get out there and, and get after it the way you get after it? Well, let me just say this quickly, if, I, if you don't mind. And I want to answer that too, is that I know I definitely should come back on because we, we opened up a lot of <laughs> topics that I didn't necessarily close or finish because there are a lot of there are a lot of points to anybody who wants to be in the business of entertainment and I'm talking about it as somebody who's been in the business um I've been doing stand-up for 21 years now but I've been in the business of entertainment and having to understand what networks and television and movies and writing and all that stuff is about for six years. So I've had to really catch up. Um, and I mean, I've, I had experiences with that with, through my mother because she was in entertainment, but for me personally, as a business person, there's so much information that you need to, um, you need to pay attention and you have to have humility. That's the only thing I would really say because when people call me now and they ask me questions about how they should maneuver and deals and things like that, they, they call me because there's a level of proficiency that I have because I never go in pretending like I know something, (laughs) you know, I take the time to stop and ask people when I'm having, if I'm having a pitch meeting and somebody says something I don't understand, I'm, I'm asking them what that means or to explain to me, you know, what, they mean by that what they want from me any of this lingo and or I'm starting to pick up how people use things in a sentence you know I think humility is very very key because a lot of people don't learn the business of whatever industry they're trying to get in they just trying to get into it and just jump in with both feet and 
so, somewhere along the line, we sort of having these messagings where it would be like, no, if you got a dream, you just jump in there, you go and do it. And while you should have the attitude and the spirit of somebody who's ready to go and win, mm-hmm. you got to take your time to understand what you're getting in so that you can sustain and win, not just jump in with no mm. information. So it is it is definitely... Um, I tell people this all the time. One of the biggest lessons I learned right away and why I say execute humility is you never know when you're in an industry, who you're around that can help you move um, in a way that you want to move because it's been my experience that the most subtle people in the room are the people that can make or break your career. And those are the people that I... Um, have been fortunate enough to encounter and have been humble enough to um, count some of them even as friends. And they've really opened doors for me. There's been a lot of people in my career that have opened doors who have seen the struggles that I've gone through, see that my the purity of my heart is not, I'm not here posting all this stuff and trying to be controversial. I'm just trying to make sure that everybody is having a good life and everybody is having uh, you know, good times when they walk outside their door. Nobody's treating being treated unfairly. So there are people who have said they want to get behind that and have helped me get into some of the places that I've never would have thought I would have been able to get into. So mm. yeah, humility I, is really key. Girl, I mean, literally, I, I we don't we're not on video right now, but my like arm hairs are standing up because. There's so much that, again, you just said that anyone listening, not just in entertainment, in any industry, you know, maintaining mm-hmm. a student's mind, not just jumping in and going crazy, but but having the mind that you're willing to do whatever it takes. But really, as you said, making sure that you're trying to sustain and win, man, that right there, sustaining. I wrote it in big letters and circled it because that's really You know, you are such an example of that. You know, you talked about the humility and ultimately, you know, you just mentioned your why. And what I always tell people, especially, you know, I I wrote it in my book, Success Math. When you know in your heart what it is that you want for yourself, Mm -hmm. for your life, and you're crystal clear on that. And as you said, it was making sure everyone's having a good day, making sure people are enjoying themselves and, and basically loving each other. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and that's guiding what you're doing from a place of humility. No wonder you've been in the industry 20 years. No wonder in the last six years you've been in the entertainment industry. And I'm sure there's even more places that we're going to see you go from here. And I, absolutely want to have you back on when and if your schedule permits and so Yamanika thank you so so much I am humbled thank and honored you. that you I'm spent this time with on. us yes and, and we'll definitely have you back and y'all remember if you missed anything run it back remember to get out there be humble and sustain and win until next time